Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Sensational, the special educational needs podcast which is brought to you by With A Slack Group. Our podcast is all about celebrating neurodiversity and empowering parents, carers with further knowledge and understanding to support children and young people in their care. Here at With A Slack Group, we pride ourselves in providing advice and support for parents and carers So I hope that everyone listening today finds our discussion useful but enjoyable as well. So my name's Camilla and I'm the Events Manager for Witherslack Group and I'll be hosting today's podcast on supporting your anxious child. Now I'm delighted to welcome our speakers to the podcast, Anne-Marie Harrison from Ideas Fresh Education and Professor Sean Duggan, Clinical Advisor for Witherslack Group and Chief Executive of the Mental Health Network. Both Anne-Marie and Sean have been wonderful speakers for the Select Group for a number of years now, and it's lovely to have them both joining me today, so welcome. Now I've given you a bit of an introduction there, but would you like to say a little bit about yourselves and tell us about your work? Anne-Marie, would you like to start? Hi, yeah, thanks for inviting me along. I'm really looking forward to chatting today and sharing our experiences. I'm uh, working for um, Ideas Afresh Limited. I'm the education director there and uh, often uh, do lots of work with families and with schools and professionals delivering um, CPD accredited training and really value the fact that I'm constantly in contact with families. And so you know, my um, experience and, and learning from them is just a continuum. And I love the fact that uh, I have that privilege and I'm looking forward to today to chatting and sharing some of those experiences with everybody. Fantastic, thank you. And, and would you like to tell us about yourself, Sean? Yes, thank, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to it as well. So I'm Sean, uh, I'm the uh, Chief Executive of the Mental Health Network, which is part of the NHS Confederation. So it's a body that represents the um, uh, National Health Service providers. And my job is to, is to help on the mental health side. I'm a mental health nurse by background. I have looked after, been involved in services for child and adolescent mental health services. I've um, managed CAMS services in the past and uh, have a real passion in this in this particular area. And from a personal perspective, I'm a grandfather of five children under the age of nine. So um, mm. uh, this subject around um, anxiety in children is something close to my heart and something that I'm personally involved in as well to try and prevent. Mm-hmm. Great. So should we get started with the questions? The first one is about the pandemic. And unfortunately, there has been a rise in mental health problems in children and young people. So firstly, I want to start by asking what anxiety presents like in children and what are the key signs for parents to look out for? I think in my work, I've noticed parents reporting sort of changes in usual behaviour and um, maybe less uh, confident and um, willing to be involved in things. So a a real significant change in participation and that includes uh, very often perhaps going to school and um, maybe parents observing more repetitive and sensory seeking behaviours and lots more sort of repetitive questioning. So I, I kind of think of that as seeking more reassurance. I don't know um, how you feel, Sean. Yeah, yeah. 
I, no, I, absolutely. I think the first thing, to, and I agree with all those sort of signs, um, and I think there's a difference between sort of a lower level of anxiety where you, you might just behave a little bit differently. You wouldn't really see yeah. too much there. Uh, and then when you have sort of, uh, it's severe anxiety. When children are really anxious, they need to worry. And the sort of things that might happen there, as you were saying, really, is lack of concentration, um, perhaps this, the start of just unusual behavior, like aggressive outbursts or something, uh, panic attacks where your heart rate is, is increasing and you're finding breathing a little bit more a shallow breathing and finding breathing a little bit more difficult typical signs of anxiety which we all have from time to time but i think the thing is if your child is presenting with these things fairly regularly then it would i it would you would think that there's something wrong and also feeling sick and a tummy ache those sort of things are uh, um that they're, they're not unusual are they and i think what yeah. i would say related to the pandemic though is that uh, you know, this has been hard for everybody. Two years of lockdown, one month, and you know, release of uh, restrictions the next month, and the, the, for children, the um, going into education, school shutting, the, the the lack of consistency with education, the break in the routine. It's been really quite difficult. We do know that children particularly found the pandemic very hard, and yeah. um, the rates of anxiety, depression, and mental health issues have. Um, increased uh, during the pandemic mm -hmm. um, so it, it's really about you know um, it's been a tough two years we're all feeling more anxious and children will feel, feel much yeah Sorry. yeah I think you're absolutely right Sean I think the whole fact that you know it's a society effect that we've seen isn't it you know mm -hmm. and I know one, one little boy mum was telling me you know he was saying uh, it's exciting isn't it it's exciting isn't it because he was going on a, a away game football match but you know trying to convince himself it's exciting but I, I could you know kind of have similar feelings around the first time we sort of went out to the pub again after the pandemic when things started to open up and as, yeah feel normal Sean a lot of general anxiety around without a doubt so if a parent or carer is concerned about a child's anxiety levels, who should they turn to and where can they go? Shall I, I kick off, Amber? I, I yeah, think, yeah, do, um, Sean, yeah. Uh, uh, sort of the, the theme I'd like to say is that um, uh, anxiety in children, uh, when it gets to a level where it's a problem, yeah, it's a real concern and we need to do something about it. But, um, you know, there are, there are normal levels of anxiety for everybody. Um, and um, I think um, the first the first thing I'd say is if you if you feel that your child is a bit more anxious and bear in mind what we said earlier, which is actually during the pandemic, most children are feeling a bit more anxious now. The first thing is, is I can't stress this enough, is talk to your child. And that's easier said than done because you're all busy people. You know, you've got jobs and you've got families and uh, all your own responsibilities, as well as the education of your child uh, or multiple children. So it, it and, uh, you know, we're all more busy now than before. We've got quite a lot more pressures, really. And, uh, you know, you see, don't you, um, just recently, extra pressures on family budgets. And that just makes life a bit more difficult. First thing is to talk um, and to spend some time with your child, getting him or her to express what it what it is that's um, making her, her anxious. So get get to the bottom of that. And and I think um, where, where you'd go for help is firstly to talk to your families and friends, your own network 
you know, that's really important. Your grandparents, your uh, cousins, um, children really do respond to that, you know, the family network. Um, and um, if you're still concerned, and that probably won't be enough, I mean, where you, where you do go to get some help is um, a lot of people like to go online, and I, I'd recommend going on the NHS website and just Google NHS website, anxiety, ch um, children's anxiety. There's some fantastic help there. Uh, that would just tell you about what to do. And there's, there's some free helplines. I would certainly recommend um, Young Minds. It's an, an excellent charity that's well-funded and it's there for you. There's people that don't often uh, think that charities are there uh, for you. It's, it's, not, it's not just to back up the NHS. Charities are there and they've got their own uh, particular areas of expertise and Young Minds helps you and they've got a whole section on anxiety for children and if you get very worried about um, the anxiety and the child's not sleeping, having bad dreams, uh, starting to wet themselves or uh, you know as I was saying earlier about breathing difficulties or whatever and you're worried, an unexplained tummy ache, go to GP. Um, I know you know the NHS is under pressure and that's what you hear on the news all the time but they are there to help you go to your GP and talk about these issues. And there's a whole raft of um, resources. I know sometimes it's difficult to get into those, but we'll talk about that later. But for this point of view, go to your GP, talk to your friends and families, uh, and then, um, uh, as I say, on, and have a look online if, if, you're, if you think that's useful, because it, it, it really is useful. Mm -hmm. I, I'd just like to pick up a little bit there as well, Sean, on the, on our kind of less neurotypical children in yeah. that sometimes we need to equip them with um, yeah. an emotional language, don't we, so yeah. that they can yeah. share. And you're absolutely right, you know, talk about and and um, sort of disclose their feelings. Yeah. And so I think sometimes for our um, kids, it might be a case of exploring how that emotional language can work for them so you know they might be talking about the fact that they're feeling more like they've got a volcano inside them rather than the feeling upset or anxious or angry and and I think you know doing lots of work together as a family in in using emotional language can be really valuable and finding you know I know I was doing an, a little science experiment with a little boy who it, when the uh, bicarbonate of soda came over the um, volcano, that was actually the first time he'd ever expressed how he felt. And he said, oh, that's how I feel sometimes, like all that stuff's coming out of me. And mm -hmm. so sometimes just finding that emotional language can be really helpful, yeah. can't it? Yeah, it's really important to listen, isn't it? To listen to yes. what they're saying. And sometimes it might not make any sense, but, you know, they're telling you something. And you yeah. Can just sit and listen. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, going back to your point, Sean, about um, specialist care for children, um, many parents have mentioned the waiting list can be long. Is this right? And what should they do if this should ever happen? Yeah, and and, and you know, it's a it's an uncomfortable thing to say, but it is true that the waits for children getting help when they've got a serious mental health issue uh, that's of concern to the parents and GPs are, are too long. Um, we've, we've known about this for some time, we've tried to do something about it. I won't bore you with the details, but it, it is that we have just hadn't, haven't invested in over the years for children and young people's mental health. You see now that it's really quite high profile, all the politicians yeah. are talking about it, 
there's a bit more national investment going in now too, but that will take time. So the waiting times are high. But what I would say to, to um, families is you have every right to get, uh, and, and you should be an advocate for your child, and you might have to make a bit of a fuss, but um, you know, if you're worried about your child, go to your GP and keep insisting. If, if he thinks or she thinks that their referral to child and adolescent mental health services, the more specialist uh, services, and it's only a rare, you know, there's a small amount of children that go through that service, but if they need it, they absolutely need it, and the NHS is there for them, and they should have it. Unfortunately, the waits are too long, but um, I would get your GP to be your advocate, get your school also to be an advocate. There'll be people within the schools that would want um, some good opportunities for your child and would advocate for you um, and make a bit of a fuss and, and, and make sure that you get that care. Ch children mm -hmm. will get the care and families do get the care, but uh, sadly, um, the waits are too long. There is, as I say, I won't bore the detail, but there is some money going into the service now over the next few years. So mm -hmm. it will get better. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's what I would recommend. Okay, great. All right. Anything to add, Anne-Marie? Well, I'm just thinking, you know, it, it sounds reassuring and, and a bit more hopeful because we're probably all three very aware of families who are saying, you know, they've tried all that. I had a family recently who said CAMS have told them they won't see them um, because the child is uh, uh, severely autistic and uh, they feel they haven't got the expertise within the team. And I think you know, this is where we've got to as a professional body and, you know, my background's in education and, and I know there's lots of teachers who have never accessed anything other than perhaps a very basic online, you know, maybe autism education trust training, National Autistic Society training, you know, the training is out there, my training, it's out there. And people are perhaps accessing it, but not learning the strategies, not learning the application of what they're being taught. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're left with this kind of professional deficit of experience and expertise. And I know, you know, it's the same in the health service. So I think we've really got to drive, you know, money and, and efforts towards training up professionals in neurodiversity and in understanding our children better so yeah. that they're not getting turned away from these services that funding is going into. And yeah, I, I, yeah and because and a lot of what we'll be talking about is the interface with education and schools, isn't it? And we know all the evidence over the years from researchers and academics is that the best place to um, uh, equip for children's mental health issues is schools, put some services in schools. I mean, with a, slack of a, with a slack of a really good example of how they, they take this very seriously and they have services in schools to help with um, children's mental health issues. And in, in other mainstream schools, that we're starting to put mental health practitioners in schools now to help them out. There's mm -hmm. also some very good uh, charities like Place to Be. It's worth just uh, Googling Place mm -hmm. to Be, uh, yeah. uh, a schools-based mental health charity who provide quite a lot of services to help. And they're well-funded, um, but there could, there could always be more. But we do know that uh, support your child at school as well. So, yeah. yeah, that's a really good point. Because I, I think, you know, the more familiar adults can be equipped to support our children then the better that is for them you know if they've got a teacher or certainly someone they see 
that wanders around the school and is a familiar person, then they're surely more likely to connect with that person than a complete stranger coming in to talk about how you're feeling. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about schools um, further on, but just going back to how um, children express themselves when they've got anxiety, um, some children can close up when they're anxious and don't want to talk. So if this does happen, what strategies would you suggest for a parent or carer to help? After you, Emily. Well, I think our instinct sometimes is to encourage children to talk. And I think, again, we've got to be so careful that we don't put a blanket approach to everything. Because for some children, um, maybe sort of playing out scenarios is more appropriate than trying to get them to use verbal language and processing. And sometimes drawing music or play those provide an opportunity to sort of share our feelings you know building towers and knocking them down again can mm -hmm. open up a conversation and I think that you know sometimes being a little bit more broad in our approach um you know can be can be helpful really um observing our children noticing as we've said already any sort of changes in behavior but Certainly in terms of how we are, you know, sometimes it's much easier, isn't it, to share some problem or, or difficulty with your partner if you're in the car together and you're not actually sat across the table, mm -hmm. supposed to be doing the looking at the communicator, that actually it's more subtle. And so sometimes it's the same with our children. It can be within the, the norm of play or an activity that, that opportunity to open up and, and talk and share their anxieties arises rather than a session, as it were, you know, a focused session. So yeah. that's really good, isn't it? You know, the, the use of yeah. play, play and activities, re really important. Yeah. I, I, I really agree with that. Um, and, um, and, and any activities, you know, if it's not just a play, but just a bit of exercise or always remember my, my daughter when she was very young. So we are going back a long time now. Um, and if she, if she had, if she had concerns, the, the only time she talked to me about them was when I, we used to go for a little drive along the beach, along the seafront. We just had our own little drive, you know, about half an hour. And um, she used to talk to me and, and she'd tell me things that she wouldn't tell her mother. And, you know, um, my wife often say, well, Kira's told you that. What, why is she about to know? It's something to do with the drive. You know, it's just a different activity. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that people um, use, don't they, is, is worry boxes or a worry envelope to yeah. encourage the child who might not want to talk to you about it. And as you say, Anne-Marie, it's not, you know, we, we, we have an expectation that children will always talk. Sometimes they don't get the right words out. <laughs> if you're feeling really anxious, it's difficult to concentrate and all that sort of stuff anyway so just sort of perhaps jot something down and put it in a worry box and yeah there's some evidence that this this is quite a good process you know you can park your your worry in that box and see to it another yeah. time work yeah. out a, work out a way yeah. to and the other thing i always um say to it's it's tough for parents because of course you want the best for your child and you think you should always have the solutions you know we do that's mm -hmm. the way we're wired up as a, a parent i want to i want to put this right for my child well you can't always and sometimes yeah. um a child will prefer to speak to an auntie or to a 
grandfather or whatever a member of the family or indeed a friend you know and that's good to use that that's really good to use that the power of the family if you if you you're fortunate to have a, a wider family use use it you know uh, and and be selfish about that because it's very it's very helpful yeah. Fantastic. So um, we've heard from parents during our webinars that anxiety can also cause aggressive behaviour. Um, so what can a parent do to help calm their child? Yeah, I, I think it's probably a follow on, isn't it, Anne-Marie, to what we were just mm. talking about, really, yeah. and uh, just distraction uh, methods, really. Because the, 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 the overall answer is to try and prevent the anxiety to get to get that bad. So mm -hmm. um, yeah. it, it is. And it is about um, spending time with your child, um, trying to get them to talk about the issues, um, and uh, um, the the the, um, the other the other thing that what we've noticed with the, the pandemic is for for older children in particular, we'll probably come onto social media soon. But um, when you you know they, they are subjected to uh, as we all have been. It's the constant bad news about the pandemic and rates of COVID going up, and they've seen, you know, their grandmother being ill with COVID, or they, you know, children have gone through all this mm -hmm. uh, real difficult period for two for two years, and of course, it's increased anxiety, um, and that's been bottled up really. Um, and um, uh, so, what we need to do is is to, to keep talking, to so be aware that that's what they are going through. And spend some time. And again, the, the you know the distraction activities, the the, the power of plays, enormously helpful. Uh, and for older children, activities um, and sticking sticking to the routine, so you can prevent you know sort of a, an aggressive outburst. If it if they do happen, then actually as a parent, you're you know, you know there's no one right answer here. And and I would say that use the relationship you have with your child, uh, and it's setting boundaries that's not appropriate, you can't go throwing things around the house, all that sort of stuff. Um, underpinning all that, underpinning all that, you, you'll know how to manage an aggressive, aggressive outburst, it's something you mustn't do, you know. And, uh, we've got a degree of tolerance because of the frustrations, but uh, there are boundaries. But underpinning all that, and I know it's tough for parents, but I always say shower your child and your family with love, you know, that uh, so when they're not being aggressive, you know, it's been really re uh, reinforcing and encouraging and sh and showering them with love. And it's mm -hmm. obviously, you know, not not um, uh, not not spending too much attention to when they are being inappropriate or aggressive. Um, it, that's that's very powerful for children. Mm, I think I think you made a couple of powerful points there, Sean, and I think one of your earlier points about, um, you know, identifying sort of how we can prevent that sort of um, angry or, you know, aggressive outburst. And sometimes it, it's rooted in just, I feel, just, you know, finding out is the child frustrated or annoyed or hostile, yeah. resentful, you know, exasperated, you know, what's going on that's kind of created that early build-up of, anxiety and and what's inhibiting those feel-good hormones because like you say we kind of slip into that fight or flight so quickly and research shows doesn't it that for you know neurodiverse children sometimes that you know 
that engine of um, emotion moves so rapidly that um, you know it's almost happened before we can understand you know sort of what the build-up was so I think and then our sensory processing system is also heightened so then our tolerance levels are lowered and it's mm. that real kind of um, cycle then isn't it that we slip yeah. into and I think your point there Sean of you know catching them being good um, is so important that you know absolutely the last thing we want is for children at home or at school to think that they are the troublesome child and I think you know that so easily happens and you know children need to feel and believe and even if they don't express that they need to feel and believe that they are liked as well as loved mm -hmm. and that you want to be with them you enjoy their company and you want to share time with them and I think there's a real danger with our children who have these very often, you know, very violent and very destructive and difficult to manage outbursts that we kind of let that mar the day, as it were. And I know, you know, in my experience, I kind of always try and say, look, time, how long that actually went on and how often that actually happened a bit like a baby in the night you feel like you've been up all night but when you actually look at the clock you've probably been disturbed six or seven times and it's you that couldn't get back to sleep not necessarily your baby and i think that's the same with aggressive behavior sometimes it can paint the day if we're not careful mm -hmm. yeah um thank that's great advice so um Let's just go back to talking about schools and anxiety in schools and with everything that's happened over the past couple of years with lockdown, homeschooling and a change in the exam structure. What difference are schools seeing in children when it comes to anxiety? I, my own sort of personal experience from since the pandemic work wise has been that I'm getting many more families um, saying that their children are refusing school. I've had one family in Newcastle whose little girl was in a special school, which for me kind of, you know, how special is a special school sometimes when we're exercising very rigid patterns of acceptance and and support but that's a whole nother podcast for another day probably <laughs> but um i think you know that kind of school refusal and um you know the difficulties in re-engaging with school mm -hmm. can be um massively challenging when you've had periods of time out of your routine and when you get back to school the environment's different and mm -hmm who you're allowed to mix with is different. And then suddenly now, uh, things are kind of getting back to normal again, but you might have got used to being with just those few children. So I think we are expecting our kids to cope with inordinate, unplanned for, unprepared change. And uh, mm -hmm. you know, I always think it's a myth when we say autistic children in particular can't cope with change. They can if they're prepared for it and practiced mm -hmm. at it. And that's what we don't do. We don't practice changes and disappointments and excitements in the safety of our own home before we're exposed to it on a bigger scale in school. So I'm sure there's, you've got lots from your perspective as well, Sean, in terms of school. Yeah, I, I would think that <clears throat> all relationships are two way. And um, 
as, as a father, when my children went to school, I, I'd often be of the mindset that it's now down to the school, it's up to them, they, it's their responsibility. You know? But of course, that's not the case, is it? You know, we, yeah. we're all, we're, we're, as a parent, we're responsible for our children, and we'll want to be responsible for our children uh, all the way through uh, the process. And, um, and that includes uh, managing the relationship with the school. Um, so we know that there's been more anxiety and your child will be experiencing more anxiety. Is that going to be a, a more of a problem at school? Well, not necessarily, because the great thing about school is that, uh, you know, children love their they love their friends, don't they? They've got great social um, uh, social support with school. When it goes wrong and there's bullying and harassment, that's that you know that is bad and that is not good for anxiety and mental health issues. And schools need to take responsibility to ensure that those things are tackled. Um, we, we'd look to, to schools to make sure they've got a policy around mental health well-being of the children, and that uh, teachers are now much more commonplace to talk about well-being and be open about children talking about their mental health well-being at school. My nine-year-old came home the other day and said, oh, "We've had another session on mental health awareness. Fantastic." These are important things, I, and I, I recommend that with with parents, you know, um, just keep you keep positive, constructive relationships with the teaching staff, with the school, if you can. Yeah. When the relationships start to break down, um, prioritise remedy of that because the person that can suffer quite often with these things is a child. Uh, so the school and the parents have got to be at one for the management of the child's welfare at school, um, and. Um, you know, it's like a relationship with a doctor that, you know, it's good, it's better to have uh, a non-defensive, constructive relationship. It's the same with schools. And I know that's not always the case. Sometimes things can break down and you'd manage that. But if you can have a really good relationship, and it, I know we keep saying this talk, but, you know, when you've got concerns about your child, and I see this all the time, um, you know, talk to the teaching staff. I, I'm so impressed with the majority of schools that I know about and go into these days that, the way they conduct, um, they have the management policies for the well-being of children is quite incredible, and they take it very seriously. I know it's not always brilliant in every school, but um, uh, they, they really are taking it very seriously and want parents to get involved, don't they? And there's all, you know, it's, I, it, it, there's all sorts of. Uh, I can see it with my daughter. You know, there's a, um, a WhatsApp group and there's an app where you can get information and talk to people at school. Uh, the use of uh, digital solutions going forward is really important and I, I'd recommend parents to embrace that if they can because you can get more from it yeah mm -hmm. and I think that gap sometimes happens between primary school and high school and so I think you know making sure that we bridge that so that we do keep up that consistent communication and I know recently I had a family who you know the little boy was getting lots of um uh, sanctions and you know mum said to me I don't really even understand what this sanction system is and so I think you know there that's kind of a real flag uh, up really saying right you know it, it flags up the fact that we need more communication between home and school for our children that aren't going to be able to perhaps convey what the systems are or how they always work so I think you're absolutely bang on there Sean about keeping that open dialogue is the most important thing definitely. Perfect so um, let's move on to social media um, as I'm, as we all know this is linked to children's mental health issues and um, what impact is it having on them and what can we do as parents to help 
So, so I think um, there, there's a lot of um, a lot of people working in this area that are saying that uh, social media. Be very careful with children on social media. It, it has, it is having an effect on children's uh, mental health. Um, but there's a balance to be struck here because um, digital applications, mobile phones, you know, um, uh, social media outlets—they are the future, and they're going to be with us. They're not we're not going to close down. We're not going to stop using them. They are the future, and we're all getting more dependent on them now than we ever have been before. Children exactly the same. So it gets back to having a relationship with your child, and and it's age specific. You know, if it's probably it's totally inappropriate for younger children to be on social media anyway. But for the for the older ones that, that are having access to social media, it's being very proactive, and and you know, families will have policies around no social media and the importance of the family unit and talking things through as we talked about, you know, and how often do we go out and you see families at a restaurant and they're all on their phones, including mm -hmm. mum and dad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I, 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 I think it's a really good thing to just not have any social media contact during um, meal times or whatever, have protective time. Also, yeah. uh, it's perfectly reasonable to restrict your child around when they use their social media and how uh, get involved in discussions around password and uh, you know supervising what they do and what sites they're on and what what have you is a, is a really good thing to do i mean we know that uh, snapshot snapchat i don't i don't know what that is but snapchat and instagram <laughs> I'm aware what instagram is, that they are there's a lot of negative aspects around that so be very yeah. careful with your child mm -hmm. on that and i think it's often linked to um, you know, you're sort of uh, when you're growing up and awareness of your body image, etc. Um, and as I think there's a link to overuse of social media and interaction on social media to the increase in eating disorders that we see at the moment uh, mm -hmm. for young children. So um, it, it's probably and, and YouTube apparently is, is a positive um, social outlet and a digital outlet for children. Um, so I think it's about just uh, again talking, talking it through. Uh, being very proactive, hands-on, having boundaries and restrictions, and that's perfectly reasonable to do that. Um, and Anne-Marie will have some words of wisdom as well. <laughs> I was just thinking, <laughs> not, not as many as yours, Sean, definitely not. I was just thinking, you know, to an extent, I think um, it would be great, wouldn't it, if we could look on social media as a bit like we used to when we were kids, you know, we used to get Friday treat. And that was, you know, sweet night, basically. And I think sometimes we've we've lost the handle on the fact that actually our interaction with um, leisure social media time is the same as our interaction with any other treat time. And we wouldn't allow our children to eat chocolate for three hours every night. And mm. yet sometimes we fall into this trap of thinking, it's their right or we should be allowing them we're depriving them if we don't let them have the amount of time on social media that of course their peers have because you know kids are great aren't they they're always full of what their peers have more easily than they do so i think you know trying to think of um access to social media as a treat and you know using it um you know i often talk about using it as a reward using it you know you have to earn so many minutes on your social media and mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with as parents as being 
on there, around there, with them. You know, I know we want to give privacy and we want to give opportunities, but you know, I think as Sean quite rightly has you know raised some of the dangers. And when we are working in particular with neurodiverse children who don't have those natural social boundaries, yeah. then sometimes they are more exposed to mm -hmm. Snapchat and TikTok um, mm -hmm. dangers and things. So, you know, I, I think, yeah, stay supervised and approach it like a tree. Yeah. yeah. Um, another big issue to talk about is um, we're about to experience high levels of inflation, which will put pressure on family budgets. So this could cause anxiety within the family and should parents try and hide their emotions to protect their children's and how should they manage their own mental health better? Where should they go for any issues? Any advice <laughs> from either of you? Do you want to go first? Uh, well, I kind of, um, I'm just, I made a note here actually, because I recently came across a piece of work by um, someone called Professor Sander Kuhl. Um, and he talks about understanding emotional regulation and sort of preconceived thoughts and perceptions can hijack our ability. And I quite liked that. I thought, yeah, do you know what? That is so true, isn't it? That actually sometimes when we are completely consumed by our own emotions, it not only hijacks our ability to do things, but it also hijacks our ability to communicate appropriately. And I think sometimes when we are overwhelmed, we we are, it depends on our personality, doesn't it? We either overspill or we don't spill. And sometimes as parents, we overspill with our children. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's directly we're having conversations with our children about our worries and concerns. And maybe it's just that they are in the room and picking that up. And I think, you know, for me, it's really important that we remember that just because our children perhaps aren't um, particularly engaged in the conversation, you know, that back of the car listening definitely um, does go on. And I think we can't talk about circles of responsibility when we've got children who are catastrophizing sometimes and getting anxious about the state of the world and, and these big worries and big problems. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, tell them, oh, this is a grown up problem. Yeah. You know, we've got yeah. to have some lines of definition somewhere. Um, I don't know your thoughts, yeah. Sean. No, I, th I think that's right. And, and uh, as much as we'd like to protect our children from time to time, you know, they, as you say, they, hear, they know what's going on. They hear things. When mm -hmm. you, you know, I, I was thinking the last few days, headline news, it's not COVID anymore. When it was COVID, Children would hear this constantly, death rates, death rates, death rates. Yeah. So you've got to you've got to talk to children about getting that into perspective, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and I think people have done a really good job of that. The, the headline news of the last few days is uh, Russian military war. tank bordering Absolutely, yeah, yeah. the potential yeah. for war. Now, a lot of children have heard you know, about world wars uh, and, 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 they're, and, they're, you know, and they're thinking, goodness what's going to happen now yeah. you know as if covid wasn't bad enough and yeah. these play on you know we have the advantage of having a bit of experience of being around and, and we we can get make it our own perspective on it children need help with that and as parents mm -hmm. we're the best uh, people to do it and and there's a, you know it's a good idea to just talk things through i think and get yeah. a level of perspective and 
put it in its box uh, because it is about the confidence and resilience of children. We want the best, uh, you know, children to grow up with a degree of confidence and resilience so they can cope with the big pressures in life. And just one a quick point on debt and um, uh, um, cost of living increases. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Know, the bad news is that uh, there's a, a correlation between increased um, uh, mental health issues, rates of mental health problems, and debt. Uh, it's usually linked to recession. The odd thing about this is we're not actually in recession, but we are getting real pressures on family budgets and the cost of living increase is going up. So families are seeing that now and they they will uh, be seeing it further down the line. So as parents and as uh, as parents, um, just if you can avoid going into debt or significant debt, really try try hard because it does put pressure on the family. And sure. of course, children pick it up because if there's not so much money going around, and there's more pressure. You know, there's increased pressures in the families and family relationships. Um, so if possible, uh, don't go into debt. But it's not always up. It's not always possible with we're all aware of that now. There's some really good. Um, there's a great charity. Martin Lewis runs it, a charity of a money and mental health or money and mental health matters. But Mind um, and uh, again, the NHS uh, website ha has really good um, information about the importance of managing debt. So you can, um, you know, you, you can protect the relationships within the family going forward. Yeah, great. Um, so finally, to finish on a positive note, what are your top three actions to parents to prevent anxiety in their children? I think there are yeah. three. We, we've, talked, we've talked about all of them. The first yeah. two we've talked about more. And I think it's love, you know, love, just sharing children with love. I often I yeah. often do say that. We know what that yeah. means as parents. And, and I often, you know, I see my grandchildren when they come into the loving family with mom and dad and the grandparents, and you just see the children blossom, don't you, with um, mm -hmm. uh, with, with uh, you know family love. It, it's quite quite incredible. Um, and talk the, the importance of spending time just talking to children. It's fun to talk to your own children. Anyway, not not all the time. I accept that. I accept that. And then the the third thing I think one of the most important things I often say to parents is that. Uh, look after yourself and look after your own mm. mental health because mm -hmm. if you don't have good mental health um, it's harder for you to uh, look after your child and to do all the positive things that we've talked about so it's really important to uh, look after your, yourself and the good news about that is um, often the the the, the, the um, determinants of good mental health well-being is is to just uh, live quite well it's it's to exercise eat well the importance of sleep you know, I know you're busy with, and children wake you up at night anyway, but um, <laughs> the importance of getting enough, getting enough sleep, yeah. uh, keep your relationships intact. If you can, positive relationships are really important. You often see, mm -hmm. don't you, neighbours and families where, but, you know, are they, are they, I don't know, there's a divorce or brother doesn't talk to, uh, the, um, father doesn't talk to uncle. Um and and it's a, it's a, it's a destructive relationship that has an impact, you know. And of course they happen, and you can't always uh, have perfectly good relationships on. But where you can um, try try to keep your relationships intact, it's extremely important. Uh, eating well and uh, you know the, the moderate drinking and all that sort of stuff. The stuff that we know about 
for mm -hmm. physical well-being is exactly the same for mental health well-being. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I'll pick up on that there, Sean, just to say, I, I think, you know, be gentle on yourself as a parent. I think, you know, if you've got expectations, lower them or get rid of them. And, you know, just expect, hopefully, to have some joy with your little people at some point during your day. And uh, and that's one thing. And then another thing I would say that label that and like it and make sure that those labels and likes are out there, not just for parents, you yourselves as parents to um, know about and, and hold in your heart, but to make sure that your children know about them as well. And, you know, that might be like Sean mentioned the notebook earlier. It might be a case of popping that up on a sticky note and sticking it on the fridge, but putting it out there because that's the only way for our children that we can develop an emotional language. And that would be my third point to make sure that we work hard to develop some kind of emotional language, some meaningful way of sharing um, our feelings or playing out um, our feelings and, and being more open with one another, which culturally sometimes families are better at than others. And I think, um, you know, we can learn from each other in terms of good communication um, around our emotions. Yeah, definitely. Um, so thank you both. That was some brilliant advice from both of you and, and I'm sure it'd be valuable for many parents. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's been a pleasure. Well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. That was fantastic. So much advice and experience we've shared. And I'd like to say a big thank you to Anne-Marie and Sean for taking the time out to join us today. If you're listening to this, you're probably already aware of the advice and support resources on the With the Slack Group website. But if not, please take a look at withslackgroup.co.uk forward slash resources, where you can find a wide range of support materials and webinars, or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. So thank you again to everyone for joining us today, and I hope you can join us for another episode of Sensational in the future. Bye for now.